Welcome to Process This, a podcast for the sterile processing community. Isham invites you to log on, listen, and learn twice a month. Now it's time to process this with your host, clinical educator, John Wood. Welcome, Isham Nation, to the Process This podcast. This is episode 28. Hope you had a great turkey day and enjoyed some well-deserved time off. So even though this Thanksgiving was a little different in our household, as it might have been with yours, I was still able to enjoy some good food, time with family, and my favorite turkey day tradition, watching America's favorite football team, the Dallas Cowboys. Today on the podcast, we have the segment, What's On My Mind, followed by Mailbox Mania, and then our guest speaker, Megan Paitra from Pure Processing. It's a great show, so let's get started with What's On My Mind. Today in What's On My Mind, I want to celebrate Kyrie Thomas. Now, you might be asking yourself, who in the world is Kyrie Thomas? Well, Kyrie is the recently named 2020 Betty Hanna Scholarship recipient. So the Ishan Foundation Board is pleased to announce that Kyrie Thomas, who has an MBA, CRCST, CIS, CER, and CHL, and is the Central Sterile Processing Manager at Memorial Health University Medical Center in Savannah, Georgia, was selected as the recipient of the 2020 scholarship. Kyrie holds a Master of Business Administration in Healthcare Management from Liberty University and is working to create a positive change within the sterile processing profession. The Isham Foundation established the scholarship in 2020 on behalf of Isham's former Executive Director, Betty Hanna, who served in that role for 48 years. The scholarship provides $2,000 in educational assistance to a student seeking to pursue a secondary or graduate degree in the healthcare field. So I love it when you hear stories about folks who are pursuing education and using their education as a platform for positive change in our profession. Too often I hear from folks complaining about pay in sterile processing or not getting the respect they deserve working in sterile processing. Now, I agree with most of you, but I also feel that if you want to change their perceptions in our profession, then use Kyrie as an example and pursue an education. Do your part to elevate the profession. Don't just sit on the sidelines. Don't just complain. Be a part of the solution. Now, the foundation doesn't just stop with the Betty Hanna Scholarship. The foundation also assists with providing professional development grants for sterile processing professionals to attend the Isham Annual Conference, to obtain different certifications. They also help with developing patient safety training tools, webinars, and seminars. And then last, uh, funding industry research to improve patient safety, infection prevention, and sterile processing related practices. So for more information on the Isham Foundation, you can go to the Isham website. That's isham.org, I-A-H-C-S-M-M.org, under the About Us tab and click on Foundation. So again, congratulations to Kyrie Thomas. 
And with that, that's going to do it for this segment of What's On My Mind. Thank you for joining me for Mailbox Mania. So in this segment, I break down different articles from different publications that hit my mailbox every week. Today we're looking at my favorite publication, the November-December 2020 publication of The Process by Isham. The first article we're going to look at today is titled Ultrasound Probes, Types, Uses, and Guideline Standards. The learning objectives for this article are identify the different types of ultrasound probes and their varied clinical practice settings, and then review the existing guidelines and standards for ultrasound probe processing. So this article reads, in the not too distant past, the most common example for a patient undergoing an ultrasound probe procedure was a pregnant mother. The probe against the abdomen allows indirect images of a developing baby. Nowadays, the clinical use of ultrasound has skyrocketed in the both inpatient and outpatient settings. From radiology and the emergency department to operating rooms, clinics, and physician offices, ultrasound probes are increasingly prevalent. Now, historically, both the lay public and clinicians have generally considered imaging via the ultrasound probe as a relatively benign with limited risk. However, like the nuances and the discoveries related to flexible endoscopes, the clinical use of and processing for ultrasound probes pose a risk if not performed correctly and completely. Now, literature uh, searches easily support concern. In 2004, an investigation in Japan linked an outbreak of the multidrug-resistant Pseudomonas to a contaminated transesophageal echocardiograph, or TEE probe, more commonly known. Now, this probe is used during cardiac surgeries. The probe proved to have a defect, and the Pseudomonas strain was traced uh, to this defect. Now, one patient died because of this drug-resistant pseudomonas. Now, we also have a 2015 perspective study highlighting uh, significant bacterial contamination of ultrasound probe handles. A 2016 survey of infection preventionists in the U.S. identified a high degree of non-compliance and extensive breaches for clinical use and processing of these ultrasound probes. And then, that same year, the U.K. survey of clinical practitioners underscored that the disinfection guidelines were not consistently followed and related education was lacking. Last, we have a class action lawsuit uh, that resulted from improperly disinfected probes uh, during clinical exams. Now, realizing that this has a very real risk for cross-contamination with ultrasound probes, it is prudent to review uh, related best practice processing considerations. So along with the objectives, this article also provides uh, three informational tables. Now table one uh, shows uh, types of ultrasound probes. Table two uh, shows clinical settings and common procedures that probes are used in. And then last, uh, the third table shows some variations between manufacturers 
in terms of the guidance for each step in the processing of the devices. So this is a good article, but you know, there might be some of you out there that, that may think, you know, I don't have direct contact with uh, these various probes out there. And you may ask, why is this really important uh, for you? And I think that Objective One really touches on this. There are several departments in the healthcare facility that process probes. And you, as the sterile processing professional or the expert in processing, you know, you should be the go-to when there are questions about cleaning, storage, and processing of these types of devices. Although it's not your specific area, you as a sterile processing professional have the critical thinking skills that can be utilized uh, in these different areas that do process probes and medical devices like these. A quote from one of my favorite cartoon movies, Turbo, you have the skills to pay the bills, right? So you're the experts to help out in these areas. So check out this article. So the next article we're going to look at is titled Process Weight Reduction Improves Efficiency in Sterile Processing. Now the learning objectives for this article, identify seven types of waste, reduce waste in sterile processing, and then justify waste reduction modifications for sterile processing. So as we start this article, the seven types of waste in the article that are mentioned are transportation, inventory, motion, waiting. Have you heard this saying, hurry up and wait? You know, waiting is definitely wasteful. You know, I can remember when I was in boot camp in the military, the main theme was hurry up and wait. Now, drill instructors would yell and yell for you to get somewhere so you could stand in line and wait some more. Now, this is, this is fine for the military, but not so great in sterile processing where time equates to money, right? And so then, so then number five is overproduction. Uh, number six, they go into overprocessing. And last is defects. So the article goes on to explain each of those seven uh, wasteful areas in detail. Then we have the second objective. So the first step to reducing waste is to remove pure waste. Pure waste can be hidden as problem fixes. So it's important to begin by asking why. Look for added tasks or products that do not address the root cause. Layers of fixes build on a tremendous amount of waste. So finding and correcting the root cause ends the waste. And the article goes on to give some examples of those. In conclusion for this article, taking a methodical approach to find and eliminate waste can reduce cost, increase productivity, and make every sterile processing technician more efficient in their processing practices. Waste is definitely a big expense for sterile processing departments. So another good article. So waste is a big expense for sterile processing. And if you're like most facilities out there, most facilities don't have enough people to process the instrumentation coming through the facilities. So before you go and ask for additional staff, my big suggestion is to look at your waste in your department. By eliminating some of that waste, can you improve efficiency, meaning having less staff? So before you go and start advocating for more staff, why don't you look at your waste first and see if you can reduce some of the waste, increase productivity, 
and maybe there's not such a need for as many staff. Maybe you can do more with less. So a great article. Again, I suggest everyone take a look at that and examine their department. So with that, that's going to do it for this segment of Mailbox Mania. Ishim Nation, today's interview is brought to you by the fine folks at Pure Processing. Pure Processing partners with reprocessing departments to deliver fast, safe, and effective medical device pre-cleaning so departments can protect their most important asset, their staff, and their medical device inventory. So thank you, Pure Processing, for supporting Isham Education. Megan is the Operations Manager for Pure Processing. In that role, she directs the sales, marketing, HR operations that help create solutions for healthcare professionals and patients' well-being. Her HR background drives initiatives in the workplace compliance, ergonomics, and safety for nurses, technicians, and employees. Megan, thank you for joining me and the Isham Nation on the podcast today. Don, thanks so much for having me. I'm very excited to talk about my favorite part of sterile processing today. When I think about sterile processing, in particular the decontamination area, I remember as a manager that when it came time to assigning folks to the decon area for the day, it was always followed by moans and groans from the staff. Why do you think there seems to be such a negative perception of decontamination, and why does it matter? I think there are really three prevailing issues that kind of stoke the fire, uh, so to speak, about why people dislike decontamination. I think, number one, departments really aren't always outfitted with the right equipment or infrastructure they need to do the responsibilities that they're given. You need a three-base sink, which is when all the guidelines and ISUs are telling you, and yet somehow you have a two-base sink. And it's up to you to be both compliant and make it work. And I bet you have a tiny department as well, so adding that third base is a challenge. So I think that would immediately make decontamination a very frustrating place. You have limited options, you have limited budgets, and you have a unique department with uh, unique workflow and volume. So it can be hard to take all those things and make something work. And I see that all the time when I talk to departments or when we consult spaces for renovation. I think, too, you know, decontamination is a dangerous place to work. Ergonomic hazards are ever-present. Sharps injuries are serious injuries, and they do happen hot, it's sweaty. It's just conditions that over time really wreck you physically and, and they put you at risk. So when I go to chapter meetings and I'm sitting at tables with, with other techs and sterile processing professionals, one of the things they're always bonding over is like the pain that they have. It's, I've had surgery this many times or I can't tell you how often I'm out because of my back. And, and that's not something we should be bonding over um, as a experience of sterile processing. So decontam is definitely a you know, very dangerous, hazardous place to work. And I think three, sometimes we can make it worse for ourselves, right? We schedule the same people to work in decontam all the time. Maybe you have long shifts in decon rather than rotating staff out more frequently. I've even seen and heard people use decontamination as a punishment. And I think all three of these elements really stoke that stigma. 
remember our most important tasks happen in decontamination. So proper pre-cleaning is the first and always will be the most foundational step to, to patient care in the whole hospital. I don't think there's any department that has more potential and more impact than in, in decontamination. So it, it does matter. Um, and I'm excited to be part of this campaign at Pure Processing to kind of change and, and shift that stigma. What can technicians do as the frontline workers to help remove the stigma around decontamination? So I think as a technician, um, one of the first things we need to do is remind ourselves constantly that there is no task too small in decontamination. Every channel, every set, every instrument tip, it's an important tool in delivering safe patient outcomes. Uh, you as a technician are the gatekeeper to ensure that each item coming through your department is clean. You are critically important. You make an impact. And don't ever forget that. Right? Remind yourself of that all the time. Secondly, we should recognize each other more often, I think, through thoughtful peer-to-peer recognition. It doesn't always come from the top down. You, you have to be part of that process. And I think it's important to define that, right? Recognition usually means specific feedback about a behavior or performance, really good work. And I think that definition is important because it allows you to give really good recognition to your peers as a technician, as a critical player on your team. So when somebody comes out of a shift in decon, having finished all the case cards, you recognize that specifically in a very timely way. And I think an equation that everyone can remember today, right, is good recognition, is timely and specific feedback, plus how that thing made an impact for you. And I think if you follow that little rule and you are willing to give more recognition to others and say thank you more often, be specific about it, you're going to get it back in return. And that will help start to foster, I think, a much more cooperative team environment, especially in, in decon. And I think third and sometimes overlooked, there might also be this element of fear involved. If you have never worked in sterile processing before and you're first introduced to SPD through the decontam department, I think that can be a little bit intimidating. Uh, IFUs are extremely rigorous, right? There's no wiggle room. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have to follow your IFUs step by step. There's no place to make a mistake. You follow them or you don't. And again, it's a dangerous environment, so it can be easy to make mistakes. And maybe you didn't get enough training before you went into decon for the first time. You can feel intimidated or scared to be in that environment. So continue to rely on your teammates to help teach each other and mobilize each other. It's an important part of that. So I think there are things you can do as a technician, right? Don't be afraid to ask for more training or ask for help. And as a manager, foster an environment where you're team helps each other and when you provide adequate training as well. So I think those are some things that we can do as technicians to start to shift the stigma that we have in decontam. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. You know, as a manager, this was always a difficult area for me, and I'm sure many of our listeners have had similar experiences. Can you talk about what role a manager can play in shifting that stigma? So for managers, the first thing is it's always going to be about constant communication and education for why decontam is important, right? As a manager, it always starts with you. Everybody's always looking up to you. Uh, If you as a manager love decontamination, then your team will eventually too, right? If you communicate that, you have to be this leader, this this beacon. You have to radiate that attitude. And and people will respond to that. They'll eat that up. So you can never over-communicate its importance or significance in the sterile processing department, you have to be a role model for decontam, first and foremost. I think also making sure your education is well-balanced with a wide array of topics is also critically important. It makes sure that the decontam gets a share in the spotlight. So for those technicians who do actually really like to be in decon, they're exposed to those topics early. And if they click with those lessons, those skills, they have the chance to take that up and to get more training in those areas. I also like competitions um, as a concept to motivate teams or employees. And mm. 
if you can create a friendly but very metric-driven competition focused in decontam, you might help stimulate those that aren't completely or fully engaged with what goes on in decon. And what you decide to compete against would be based on your own individual departments, what you need to address first, those, those critical areas. You know, if you have a department in particular where negative resentment around decontam really persists, um, one of the things I always tell people is to try and find your champion. I think a champion program can be really effective. Right? Your champion is somebody who already loves decontamination. They ask for those shifts or they do their best work in decontam. And when you mobilize that person, they'll help others learn to love decontam for you. They're going to help change that stigma for you. Have that champion help you in evaluating the product improvements or make them in charge of that. Have them partner with educators when you're doing in-services in decontam. If people see decontam as a dead end, then obviously no one's going to like it. Uh, but if you provide routes to either improve yourself and the environment around you, maybe with a champion, for example, uh, you're showing others that you recognize their knowledge, skills, and abilities. So I think a champion can be a very powerful thing. And then finally, I'm, I'm very excited to be working on this special campaign at Pure Processing where our goal is going to be to shift this stigma about decontamination. And we intend to launch this as part of a, a campaign where maybe managers can buy awards, purchase related to decontamination. You can wear that with pride and you can give those away in those competitions or with bonuses or just as a simple thank you, right? Or it's a holiday gift. So more to follow soon on that campaign. But I think those are a couple of things you can do as a manager um, specifically to mobilize and encourage and, and to be kind of this, this beacon of decontam really is a wonderful place in the hospital. So full of untapped opportunity and potential. How can folks leverage the OR, the different departments, and what role does the OR play uh, with the, when it comes to decontamination? Yeah, the OR definitely has a, a role in this picture for sure. Um, I like to think of the OR and SPD as kind of like the center and quarterback in football, right? You have this really great quarterback oh. who can call awesome plays, but you know if your center isn't snapping passes to the quarterback correctly, it really doesn't matter. Um, SPD is like the quarterback, right? It's up to you to take those used contaminated trays, case carts, and prepare them for the next surgery. And, and your touchdown would be a complete case assembly. It's free of pathogens and bioburn, and those instruments are in their top shape. But when the OR isn't giving you case carts that are properly prepped or they're in total disarray, you've never seen a case cart look so bad before, you know, it prevents you from making a really ideal play. And I think that really enforces the stigma. You know, people in decontam sometimes end up seeing the worst of their OR through those case carts. And for those that do like to work in decon, some of the feedback I've gotten is they just trust the quality of their own work. They know that they're the last person to have touched that tray or that instrument. And those in assembly will benefit from that. But the last person who touched those instruments were other sterile processing technicians. So I think the greater idea is just to constantly have this open and communicable dialogue with your OR. Make sure both your teams are reporting to each other, that your metrics are holding each other accountable, and that the OR is getting a, a glimpse into the life of SPD. Uh, their cooperation really can make a very significant difference in the decontam department. From your experience, what have been some improvements you've noticed in decontamination equipment over the past couple of years to really make working in decontamination safer and more efficient? Part of that negative stigma around working in decontamination is it's a very difficult place to work, right? Nobody goes out of their way to lift heavy trays, bend in deep sinks all day, get drenched in sweat. <laughs> it's a physically laborious place to work. And at the same time, I think we have seen improvements in the conditions in decontam. Equipment manufacturers are developing more solutions and improvements for specifically addressing these issues. So, for example, I think sinks today are far more fine-tuned 
to instrument reprocessing than they were five to 10 years ago. There are vendors who are spending more time in decontam. They're asking you more questions and they're providing fewer out of the box solutions. But maybe not only are sinks head adjustable, but maybe they're also built with electrical. A lot of departments struggle with electrical outlets or maybe some sinks are also coming with integrated lighting or integrated flushing for lumens. It just tells you that those vendors, when they were developing their sinks, they actually thought about that unique environment that exists in sterile processing. Even products like masks, right, are being more tailored to this unique environment that we find in decon. Uh, as a manager, you want to partner with vendors who are going to consider all angles of decontamination equipment, and they're not going to stick you with a sink that's going to become outdated in two years. Uh, they should be asking you questions. They should be analyzing your existing space and really engaging with you and your team in the design process. If your vendor partners are not interested in spending time in decon or they're not asking you really probing, robust questions, you have to ask yourself, you know, is their equipment really meant for the rigorous work that found in your department. And I think one of the things that pure processing that we intimately do is involve our decision makers in that design phase. And it, it does lead to more useful long-term fixes for departments. And so that might seem really obvious, you know, who wouldn't do that as part of that process. But we found that that's not a universal experience. It's okay as a manager to ask for more from your vendors. And I encourage you to do so. It just leads to better equipment, better improvements, better updates into your own decontam department. That really makes sense for your own unique department. Can you talk about some of the critical areas that the department can improve now in their decontamination space? I think first and foremost, identify which of your vendors are going to be actively involved in decontam. That vendor might provide equipment for decontam, but if they're not actively engaged in improving that space, they're really not a long-term partner. Uh, You as a manager have to invest your time with the right people. You only have so much of it and you have a lot to do. So it's really important that the companies and vendors you choose um, are really invested in your long-term improvement. Uh, There are also simple product-related changes you can make right now to address your decontam department. As we talked about, it is a hazardous place to work. Um, And a lot of us are also in a position where we might not have a budget for new sinks, but maybe consider things like inserts. They're going to raise the working level. They're going to make a deep sink much more manageable, much more ergonomic. Or even your mats, right? How many of us have mats that we don't do anything? They just kind of sit on the floor and we have to wash and care for them. (laughs) So, you know, those small tweaks can add up and and make a difference for the working conditions in decontam. You can do things with very simple little tweaks. And I recently talked about this at the uh, Isham Online Conference this year, and we have a great CE program on our website that goes through some other ideas that you can implement right away. I think third, you can mobilize and empower your team as a technician or a manager, right? Share the responsibility of auditing and improving your decontam department with your whole team. I think that will help guide you to make the right long-term fixes for your department, seek everybody's input, and really celebrate what your staff love about decontamination because there are people out there who love decontam. And I think education is probably the most critical pillar to holding up the decontam department. Partner with your local ISHM chapters if you're not involved in your local ISHM chapter. I encourage you to do so. Uh, share your ideas with each other, sponsor decontamination-related education, and, and start teaching the importance of decontamination very early, especially with technicians who are early in their careers. And as a parting ask, I would ask that everybody check in with us at Pure Processing or, 
or email or call us with reasons for why you love your decontamined department. You know, we want to hear what you have to say, what you love, and, and how you teach others to love their decontam. Uh, your input's going to help us really shape this community that we're trying to build and really help improve this image of what my favorite place in the whole hospital is in MSC Con. So please check in, please email, call us with any feedback you have. I'd love to hear uh, what, what you love about decontamination. Great. Thank you, Megan, for your time. Thank you for sharing with the HM Nation today and bringing some insight into, you know, like we suggest, like we talked about, some of the, one of the most important places uh, in the hospital, the decontamination area. So I agree. It needs to be a safer, needs to be a more efficient place. So again, thank you for your time, uh, Megan. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. What an honor. Megan, again, thank you for speaking with us today. Isham Nation episode 28 is in the books. Thanks for listening to the show. To receive the CE for this episode, simply click on the link in the episode notes, fill out the required information, and select the code FOUNDATION. Again, the code for this episode is FOUNDATION. Remember, keep an ear out for the next episode, always on the 1st and 15th of every month. Each episode's on demand. So when you're ready for us, we'll be there for you. As always, stay classy, Issue Nation, and we'll see you next time.